Hi, and welcome to episode two of Theme Song, a podcast where every week I select a group of songs to talk to you about, all based around a certain theme. I'm your host and musical curator, Ella, and this week I'll be sharing a number of songs with political messages. This past week, politics have been at the forefront of all of our minds as we anxiously awaited the results of the U.S. presidential election. Thankfully, the Cheeto currently occupying the Oval Office lost the election, despite his desperate efforts to prove he hasn't. But all that means, now more than ever, is the perfect time to organize and create systemic change for the good of all of the people living in the United States. I'm not here to deliver political messages, though. I'm here to tell you about other people delivering political messages and doing it through music. Remember, I can't play you any of the songs during the actual episode due to copyright restrictions, but you can feel free to pause the episode to give one a listen before coming back. For the first pick of the episode, I decided to start with a very classic call to action by poet, author, and musician Gil Scott Heron. The revolution will not be televised. Gil Scott Heron's story begins as he was in college in the late 1960s at Lincoln University, a historically black institution with a very politically active student body. He felt drawn to action by his experiences at Lincoln, as well as many other displays of student activism across the U.S. at the time, including the infamous anti-war protest at Kent State University that left four people dead after the National Guard opened fire on the demonstrators. Gil Scott Heron began his musical career after he dropped out of school to publish two novels in 1970, and from there he was inspired by the Black Arts Movement to start writing music along with his poetry. His first albums were more spoken word, but on his 1971 album Pieces of a Man, he leaned a little more into traditional music structures. The Revolution Will Not Be Televised is the first track on the record, and it serves as an energizing proto-rap wake-up call to those who wish the world would change but don't want to do anything about it. The phrase, the revolution will not be televised, itself is especially powerful because it can take on multiple meanings. Primarily, it means that if you want the system to change, you have to go outside and advocate for it. On TV, you get fed the story and everything works out in the end. In the real world, the answers won't be given to you easily, and you'll have to work for what you want. As Gil Scott Heron puts it, the revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. However, it also means that the power to change your mind in the end doesn't come from others. The revolution will not be televised on a smaller scale either. It will happen inside your head when you decide to listen to what's happening in the world around you and when you decide that you're going to try to do something about it. If you see people advocating for change around you and you know it's the right thing to do, it's up to you to stand up and join the fight because the revolution will be no rerun. The revolution will be live. Gil Scott Heron's The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Go listen to it and come back. Or don't. The decision is yours. I have another absolute classic politically charged song for the next pick of the episode, and it's one that the record label it came out on tried very hard to prevent its release. Motown Records was a revolutionary record label in that it provided a massive platform for Black musicians to enter the mainstream, 
but popularity came at a price. In order to make all the music that came out of Motown as universal as possible, CEO Barry Gordy Jr. avoided controversy and political commentary like the plague. So when Marvin Gaye, one of Motown's most popular artists, came to him and said he wanted to release an album exploring themes of injustice, poverty, the tragedies of drug addiction, and criticisms of the Vietnam War, he put up a real fight before finally allowing him to release the album. Let's all take a moment and thank Barry Gordy Jr. for agreeing to let Marvin Gaye record and release What's Going On on Motown Records because it's become an absolute classic and Rolling Stone magazine even went so far as to name it the best album of all time. All of the songs on What's Going On deliver a heart-wrenching message, and initially I was going to talk about the title track because it's the most well-known and arguably the most important, but I actually want to highlight a different track because of the specific cause it advocates for. Mercy Mercy Me doesn't only have a great saxophone solo for the second half of the track, it also has an extended title. In parentheses, the words, the ecology, remind us that this is one of the first popular songs to acknowledge the destruction of the environment by human industry. On this song, Marvin Gaye essentially asks God for mercy for the damage humans have done and begs him to help change people's minds. He laments the pollution in the wind, oil spills in the ocean, and the radioactive and chemical damages done to the land and the animals. While the environmentalist movement really started to get its footing at the beginning of the 1960s, nobody was really talking about the damage we were doing to the environment in music. Even now that we have a broader understanding of climate change and more specific knowledge on how our modes of production are actively harming us, we still don't have a lot of climate change anthems to gather behind. So big shout outs to Marvin Gaye in 1971 for giving a voice to a movement talked about too little in the music world with Mercy Mercy Me, The Ecology. The next pick I have on the episode is a song that has been in my head all week long. I can't stop listening to it. It's so good. The song is Youth Against Fascism by legendary alternative rockers Sonic Youth. Sonic Youth formed in 1981 as a no-wave and noise rock band that eventually morphed into one of the defining alt-rock bands of the 80s and 90s. Albums like Evol, Sister, and Daydream Nation cemented them as masters of the bridge between melody and pure noise. They made the leap to a major label in 1989, releasing their album Goo in 1990 and following it up with Dirty in 1992. Dirty came out to an audience more primed and ready for good, grimy, alternative rock than ever before because not too long before the album came out, Nirvana brought grunge to the masses with Nevermind in 1991. However, even against this new backdrop, Sonic Youth continued to show that they could make innovative guitar-based music unlike anybody else. Youth Against Fascism was the second of four singles to come out on Dirty, and it presents some of the band's most obvious political messaging of their career. Youth Against Fascism is a rallying cry against a variety of injustices and atrocities occurring during the early 90s when the song was written. Most often, 
lead singer Thurston Moore is spitting out disgust for neo-Nazis, the KKK, and other white supremacist groups. But he also addresses other issues, one calling President George H.W. Bush a war pig over his military operations in Saudi Arabia with UK Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher during the Gulf War. One line that stands out to me is when he says, I believe Anita Hill. In 1991, Anita Hill came forward about being sexually assaulted by her supervisor at the U.S. Department of Education, Clarence Thomas, after he was nominated to the Supreme Court. She testified against him, but faced enormous scrutiny, and many believed she was making it up in order to prevent a conservative justice from entering the court. Clarence Thomas was confirmed anyway, and he still resides on the court today. In 2018, he was joined by Brett Kavanaugh, who faced similar allegations against him by Christine Blase Ford, who, like Anita, was widely ridiculed and accused of lying. Goes to show that Youth Against Fascism is still painfully relevant almost 30 years after its release. Recently, in response to the current political climate, Sonic Youth put out a limited t-shirt design that said Youth Against Fascism on it and included a section of the lyrics. Proceeds from the t-shirt in the U.S. went to the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee and the fund from Vote Save America lovingly called Get Mitch or Die Trying against the Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Sales in the European Union went to a European network called United for Intercultural Action, an organization dedicated to fighting racism, nationalism, and fascism, and to supporting migrants and refugees entering the EU. I think that all the shirts are sold out by now, so if you wanted to get one, it's okay. I did too, and I didn't get one either. Um, I can still listen to the song though, and man, it's good. Youth Against Fascism by Sonic Youth. Go listen to it. Now, this wouldn't be a politically themed show without at least one more classic punk song in the mix. Punk, as a genre, is generally political. It's all about rebellion against the establishment, whether that be established fussy musical conventions or the oppressive capitalist system. And with a well-known reputation for stirring up trouble, you'd be hard-pressed to find a group with more direct political explosions than the Dead Kennedys. I mean, even starting with the name, Dead Kennedys was a huge burden for the band at the time. It was a really controversial name that prevented them from getting signed by any major labels. And to be fair, if I owned a record company today and a band came up to me telling me they were called the Dead Obamas, I would be doing some serious questioning. But their name was hardly the most politically rebellious thing about them. Their album artwork, their performances, and pretty much every single one of their songs were all huge middle fingers to the establishment. As such, it's hard to pick just one of their songs to fit into this episode's theme. There are a lot of well-known classics, Holiday in Cambodia, California Uber Alice, and the one about the Nazi punks, I know you know what I'm talking about, all stuck around to become rallying cries for hardcore kids everywhere. However, I decided to go for a song with a more unassuming name for this episode. As I was looking at the Dead Kennedy's Spotify profile trying to choose a song, I saw the name of this episode's pick and immediately thought of one of the more stupid things that the U.S. president said recently during a tangent about this summer's protesters, 
who he said were hurling cans of soup at cops because bricks are too hard to throw. The song is completely unrelated to chucking bricks at cops, but I couldn't stop thinking about the anarchists lying about soup for their families. And then when they get caught, they say, no, this is soup for my family. So I chose the Dead Kennedys song, Soup is Good Food. <laughs> the song itself talks about the mechanization of the workforce and the machines that are coming to replace people's jobs. The Dead Kennedys rail against the factory and business owners who view people who work for them as less than human and who couldn't care less about the well-being of their employees unless their poor health is preventing the company from turning a bigger profit. Frontman Jello Biafra puts on a sort of silly announcer slash boss man voice to tell you, the listener, just how little you mean to him and his company. And as far as messages telling you you're worthless go, this is a pretty fun one. Go listen. Soup is Good Food by the Dead Kennedys. For my last couple of picks, we're escaping the world of pre-1995 politics, as unfortunately relevant as they are, to talk about some songs from just the past few years. And the first song I have on this list of modern commentary comes from the UK, where post-punk band Idols are tearing into the status quo with their teeth. Ah, Idols formed as a band in 2012 and have released three studio albums, with the latest one only coming out a few months ago in September 2020. They have lots of great songs to choose from, but for this episode, I'm going back to their first album from 2017, Brutalism. The second song on the album is called Well Done, and it's a sarcastic banger that asks the question that the ignorant upper class have been asking people in poverty for centuries. Why don't you just get a job? Lots of systemic barriers prevent people from just getting a job, whether that be lack of access to transportation, the high cost of childcare, restrictions against formerly incarcerated people from entering the workforce, just to name a few. However, it's hard to see those barriers when you've never personally run into them, and on Well Done, lead singer Joe Talbot takes on the personality of that entitled rich boy, half-mocking and half-growling out rhetorical questions that sound less like half-hearted advice and more like demeaning insults. As Idols progresses in their career, their music becomes more and more direct, to the point that a primary criticism of their recent releases is that all of their lyrics are just sloganeering, but the first album here shows that they are capable of more subtlety and wordplay than people now give them credit for. For example, throughout Well Done, Idols reference Mary Berry as a figure who has a job and a degree. Mary Berry was a longtime judge for the Great British Bake Off and as such is a really clever reference for the band to make here. She's both a person who is pretty universally recognizable across class divides as a prominent TV figure and as a symbol of the British bourgeois and upper class. Not only that, but the fact that she's the host of a baking show specifically calls back to one of history's most famous examples of privileged ignorance, which is Marie Antoinette's alleged response to the news that the poor have no bread of let them eat cake. That's a lot of layers for a repetitive punk song. Idols have churned out 
a lot of quality criticisms of British society over the course of their career, and Well Done is an excellent example of their poignant and on-the-nose politics. Listen to it, Well Done, by the band Idols, I-D-L-E-S, Idols. My last pick on the episode is from one of my personal favorite albums that came out last year. Jamila Woods is an R&B artist and activist whose inspiration for her music comes from herself and her power, primarily from her identity as a Black woman. Her 2019 album, Legacy Legacy, complete with two exclamation points in the title, falls into this vein and is both a celebration of herself and an examination of how she and people like her fit into modern society. The word legacy refers to how Woods named each song on the album after a person of color who inspires her and has helped shape her into the artist she is today. The song I picked off this phenomenal album is Giovanni, named after African-American poet Nikki Giovanni, specifically inspired by her 1972 poem, Ego Tripping, There May Be a Reason Why. One of the last lines of Nikki Giovanni's poem reads, I am so perfect, so divine, so ethereal, so surreal. I cannot be comprehended except by my permission. I would try to break that down a bit, but man, I can't think of a better way to put it than that. Giovanni values her femininity, she knows her worth, and she owns it. Jamila Wood's song is a reflection of the attitudes in that poem. It's about the power that lies in herself and her lineage. She sings that her ancestors watch her fairy tale walking and builds on the confidence that Giovanni gave her to tell you that she is not phased by your aggression towards her and that she knows she's not as small as others want to make her seem. The title of Nikki Giovanni's poem says, There may be a reason why. A response to the questions that one might have about a bloated and narcissistic sense of self after reading a stanza where the poet compares herself to Jesus. This subtitle asks the reader to step back and consider that the poem is about more than the self. It's about history, ancestry, and the miracle of life. There may be a reason why the metaphors in the poem are justified. On Giovanni, Jamila Woods takes that one step further, and the chorus repeats, there must be a reason why. Through this subtle change, Woods takes out the question of worthiness from the equation. It's no longer a maybe that all of the cosmic comparisons to black womanhood are worth it. It's a must. They are. The song is Giovanni by Jamila Woods off her 2019 album, Legacy Legacy. And that's the last pick I have for you today. I hope you enjoyed this semi-chronological journey through different themes of politically charged songs. I hope you're happy with the outcome of the U.S. presidential election, and I hope you tune in next time for upcoming episodes of Theme Song.